This show is supported by the BS Podcast Network. They got tons of great content over there. Please go check them out. In addition, sometimes I say things on this show that sounds like medical advice. I can tell you right now it's not. If you want medical advice, go talk to your doctor, not me. By supporting this show, you're supporting a cause. That cause is making science accessible for everyone. Thank you for your support. Welcome back. You're listening to Basically Science. This episode is part one of a four-part series. In this series, we're going to be using the four seasons to guide us through properties of water. In this episode, we will be reviewing the phases of matter. We're also going to be going over the relationship between temperature and water. Lastly, we're going to be talking about the relationship between temperature and density. I have a degree in integrative sciences, which is specifically designed to provide an interdisciplinary education of both physical and life sciences. This education helps me identify and understand the intersection of science and reality. If you stick around to the end of this episode, we're going to tie it all together by connecting it to a real-world problem. By the end of this episode, you should understand changes in phases of matter, density, and how the relationship between temperature and density applies to real-world problems. First, let's start talking about winter, right, and its relationship with water. In the U.S., winter typically lasts from late December to mid-March. This season is also often associated with colder temperatures and snow. Snow is just a form of water just like ice and steam. Water is absolutely crucial to our world. Our bodies are made of 60% water, and water is a key molecule in the chemical reactions that provide humans and other organisms with energy. The brain and the heart are composed of about 73% water. Lungs are about 83% water. Skin contains about 64% water. Muscles and kidneys are about 79%, and even bones are watery at a mere 31%. Water is a vital nutrient to the life of every cell. Here's some examples. First, it acts as a building material. It also regulates our internal body temperature by sweating. The carbohydrates and the proteins that our body use as food are also metabolized and transported by water in the bloodstream. It assists in flushing waste through urination. It acts as a shock absorber for the brain, spinal cord, and fetus. It forms saliva. It lubricates joints. And it does so much more. 71% of the earth is covered by water, which is mostly oceans. The organisms in the ocean produce over 50% of the oxygen we need to breathe. It absorbs 50 times more carbon dioxide than the atmosphere, and they transport heat from the equator to the poles. It plays a significant role in climate and weather patterns as well. Oceans are home to about 228,450 different oceanic species. So, it's so important, but what is it? What is water? Well, it's quite simple. Water is two elements bound together. 
Those elements are hydrogen and oxygen. Hydrogen and oxygen, when bound together, form a single molecule, and that molecule is water. It requires two hydrogens and one oxygen. The properties that make water amazing stem from two things. First, how the molecules interact with each other, and second, how they interact with their environment. Let's jump into the phases of matter. All matter exists in what we call phases. The ones that you should really worry about are solid, liquid, and gas. We have terms to describe how matter changes from one phase to another. Let's use water as the example. Solid to liquid is melting. Liquid to gas is vaporization. Gas to liquid, so we're going backwards now, right? Gas to liquid is condensation. Liquid to solid is freezing. Matter doesn't necessarily have to stick to this order. There are other terms that describe going from solid to gas or gas to solid. However, it's out of the scope of this episode. Now that we understand phases of matter and we know what they are, we can start to describe the relationship with temperature. Changes in phases occur along a scale called temperature. There are certain points along that scale that matter changes phases, and it's unique for different matter. There are three main ways to measure temperature. Two of them you should definitely know. The other one, it's okay if you don't. First is Fahrenheit, second is Celsius, and third is Kelvin. The specific temperature points are the same each way, right? So when I talk about a specific temperature point, right, the point at which water goes from liquid to solid is a temperature point. The point at which water goes from liquid to gas, there's a temperature point, right? And if you're going from solid to liquid, that temperature point is the same no matter which way you're going. So what are those temperature points? First, let's talk about the freezing point or the melting point. Fahrenheit is 32 degrees. You've probably known that. Celsius is 0 degrees, and Kelvin is 273 degrees. Boiling point and condensation temperature points. For Fahrenheit, it's 212 degrees. Celsius, it's 100 degrees. And Kelvin, it's 373 degrees. So we now understand that when matter changes phases, it's as a result of change in temperature. How does that apply to water? Winter, in my opinion, is one of the best times to understand or experiment with these concepts. Snow is solid water. It's just a different form of ice. Water becomes ice overnight, right? You can go out and you can water your driveway or water the sidewalk, and in the wintertime, most likely, it's going to freeze overnight, and in the morning, you'll have ice. I mean, this is the same as, you know, filling ice cube trays and putting ice in your drink that eventually melts, right? Like, these are all ways that we are experiencing this change in state or change in uh, phase of matter. When you exhale, the vaporized water in your breath starts to condensate, which is why you can see it, right? But how do we get rid of snow and ice? Think about it. What do we typically use to get rid of ice? I'm hoping you said rock salt. Now think of the answer to this question. Does rock salt melt ice? Does rock salt melt ice? If you said yes, well, 
Not really. If you said no, you are correct. And here's why. If it's not melting ice, what is it doing? Rock salt actually prevents ice from forming by lowering the freezing point. So we've already talked about freezing point. In Fahrenheit, it's 32 degrees, and in Celsius, it's zero. So what does lowering the freezing point do? It means that it has to be colder in order for it to change from a liquid to a solid, right? In order for that water to freeze, it's got to be colder. How does rock salt do it? So when rock salt is dissolved into a water solution, often called a brine, sometimes you'll see them, they'll spray the roads uh, before it's about to snow or be, before they think there's going to be an ice storm. They'll spray the roads and what they're spraying is a salt water solution. And that lowers the freezing point of water. Rock salt makes it more difficult to freeze by interrupting the interactions between water molecules by making salt water solutions. Honestly speaking, it's not just salt. Any dissolved mineral will have similar effects. However, salt is the cheapest and it's the easiest to use. You might be thinking at this point, isn't the ocean full of salt water? You're right, it is, and that's important to what we're going to talk about later. First, we're going to talk about density. Now, you've probably heard this word before, but do you know what it actually is? If not, here's a good analogy to understand. I want you to imagine a box. This box is going to be what we call a closed system, which means nothing comes in or out unless you say it does. In that box, in your imaginary box, I want you to throw some bouncy balls in there. It could be three, four, five, doesn't matter. Throw some bouncy balls in that box. And what we're going to do is we're going to pretend that those bouncy balls never lose their energy. Right? Every bounce is as energetic as the first bounce. So they're just bouncing all over the place in this box, having a, the time of their lives, right? What happens when we add another bouncy ball? When we do that, it changes the density of bouncy balls in that box. Density is just a measure of the amount of mass in a given volume. That given volume in our case is the box, and the mass is the bouncy balls inside. And when you add a new bouncy ball, you're adding more mass in a given volume. The volume doesn't change. The density of water is about 1 gram per milliliter. To give you an idea, a milliliter is about a half a teaspoon. Density and temperature have a relationship as well. <clears throat> as temperature increases, density decreases. We call this an inverse correlation or an inverse relationship. It works vice versa as well. As temperature decreases, density will increase. You've most likely experienced this relationship before. If not, you should have definitely seen it. As the temperature increases, density decreases, right? Let's apply that to a lake. In a lake, warm water will rise to the top and cold water will sink to the bottom. If you swam in a lake during the summer, you've probably felt this. It's a very strange feeling. The top half of your body feels warm in the water, but your feet and your legs and maybe even your hips feel cold. 
This difference in density and separation of different densities is what we call stratification. In the summer specifically, the warm water rises to the top of the lake and the cold water sinks, and they don't get a chance to mix. Since these layers don't mix, neither do the nutrients or the oxygen dissolved in those waters. This is important for understanding lake ecosystems, and we're not really going to get into it right here, but it is important to recognize. This relationship between density and temperature is only true to a certain point, though. When water freezes, that relationship is invalid. When water undergoes the phase change from liquid to solid, its structure changes as well. When water is a liquid, its molecules just float around freely. The rate at which they float is dependent on the temperature. All you need to know right now from that concept is that the higher the temperature, the faster these molecules move. The lower the temperature, the slower they move. When water becomes a solid, the water molecules have slowed down so much that they now are essentially stationary, although they still do move, but it's more like vibrations. When they form this structure, we call it a crystal lattice structure. And really all that's doing is defining the structure of the molecules. The result, all of the water molecules spread out from each other and get into this structure. When they spread out, they take up more space, and as a result, they have a lower density. Right, because the amount of water molecules is not changing, however, the volume is. Right, so we have the same amount of water molecules in a larger volume. As a result, the density decreases. How do we see that? Well, ice floats. Ice floats because it's less dense than water. And it's important to remember that understanding these concepts do matter. They both have a role in current real-world problems that I know that you have heard about. That problem is climate change. What does water, temperature, and density all have to do with climate change? Climate change is a phrase that is used to describe an upward trend in the average temperature over the entire world. This rise in average temperature is starting to show some serious consequences. One of those consequences is melting at the poles. When I talk about poles, I'm talking about the North Pole and the South Pole, right? What do we have at the North Pole and the South Pole? Well, we have two things. We have glaciers and we have sea ice. They are not the same thing. In fact, they're pretty different. Sea ice is ice formed in the ocean, and it's very similar to ice cubes floating in your glass. When they melt, it does not increase the volume in the glass, right? When your ice cubes melt, your glass doesn't overflow. In fact, the volume stays roughly the same. Sea ice acts the same way. When it melts, it doesn't increase the volume of the ocean and therefore sea level doesn't rise. However, it does play a very important role and that's why we don't want it to melt. Sea ice is responsible for reflecting light from the sun back out into space. Why is that important? Well, by reflecting that heat, it keeps the temperature down and the, the heat does not get absorbed into the earth. If this sea ice melts too much and we are not reflecting that light back out into space, 
we're going to start absorbing that heat, and as a result, it's going to warm the temperature of the oceans. Glaciers, on the other hand, are ice that has built up on a landmass. When they melt, the water has nowhere to go, right? Because it's on a piece of land. It's not currently in the ocean, technically. So when they melt, that water runs into the ocean. As a result, sea levels will start to rise, right? Because we're taking water that was previously on land in the form of a glacier and we're putting it back in the ocean. It's also important to remember this. When ice freezes, it pushes those salt molecules out, right? So when this water is freezing from the glaciers, it's relatively fresh, and there's not a whole lot of salt that goes into it. So by adding all of this fresh water or fresher water or less salty water back into the ocean, the average salinity of the ocean is going to decrease over time. Anytime you introduce changes into an ecosystem such as decreased salinity or decreased light or decreased oxygen, you're going to see a direct result on the ecosystem itself and all of the life inhabited in it. When the average global temperature rises, glaciers melt. Glaciers and sea ice are more sensitive to this changing because of the small salinity that they have, right? Because salt mixed in water decreases and lowers the freezing point or the melting point. Since the 1900s, many glaciers have been melting, and they've been melting fast. Science has tied this occurrence to human activities. Most importantly, the Industrial Revolution. Also, it's been tied to the increasing popularity of personal vehicles and the carbon emissions that come from that. Additionally, warming causes thawing of permafrost, which is a permanently frozen ground. You see this in northern Canada, in the tundra, in northern Alaska. This thawing can be devastating. In Alaska, the ground has subsided more than 15 feet because of thawing permafrost. In some places in Alaska, the ground has subsided more than 15 feet as a result of thawing permafrost. And this makes sense, right? Because as ice freezes or as water freezes, it expands. So the opposite would happen if it melts. So all that space that was originally taken up by ice is now being filled with water. And as a result, things get more compact and here, 15 feet of ground has subsided. In summary, matter can exist in these three phases, right? Solid, liquid, and gas. These phases are defined by the temperature of that matter. And when the temperature drops below 32 degrees Fahrenheit, or 0 degrees Celsius, or 273 degrees Kelvin, it becomes ice. Unless it's a saltwater mixture, then it has a lower freezing point, and those numbers are no longer valid. We gotta remember ice is less dense than water, which is why it floats. But in its liquid state, density and temperature have an inverse relationship. Understanding these relationships can help us understand consequences of melting glaciers, which is one of the major effects of climate change. Rising sea levels pose a risk to coastal populations. Additionally, melting sea ice perpetuates the warming of the planet because we start to absorb more heat. This makes the air warmer and it can change weather patterns, making more severe weather. 
Lastly, melting glaciers also plays a role in the movement of water in the ocean, and that disrupts currents. As a result, that can disrupt sea life, migration patterns, and the overall ecosystem of the ocean. Because the ocean is so responsible for producing the world's oxygen, disrupting the ecosystem would probably not be a good idea, because as a result, we could see decreases in the oxygen production. That's it for this week's episode. Remember, this is part one of a four-part series. Next week, the theme is spring. So make sure you tune in because we are going to be talking about more awesome properties of water and how it applies to plants and trees. Please hit subscribe and turn on notifications for new episodes. You can follow the show at Science Basic Pod, as well as my personal Twitter at Burgess Adam. For more content, or if you prefer video, you can check out the YouTube channel, Basically Science. If you're watching on YouTube and you learned something today, do me a favor and hit that like button. By hitting that like button, I'm able to track if I'm teaching something or if my content is effective. And that is really the only feedback I have. So please, if you learned something today, hit the like button. You can also join the Patreon community for as little as $3 a month. At the end of this series, I have a special surprise coming to those joining, and you will definitely want to be a part of it. Follow the link in the description down below, and I encourage you to share this with a friend. For feedback or inquiries, feel free to contact me at signsbasically at gmail.com. Thank you.